How's everybody doing? Good. Well, awesome. Welcome to Grace Spring. We're so excited you're here this morning, whether you're joining us in person or online. Man, welcome home. Uh, I'm so excited to be able to open God's Word this morning with us and continue on in our series, The Journey. Uh, good news, we're in Exodus and it's uh, March. <laughs> I'm joking, we've got, we've got this whole thing planned out. I'm so excited for where we're going to continue to go. Uh, after Easter, it's going to ramp up big time. It's going to be incredible. Uh, but I have the opportunity this morning to uh, open up a portion of God's Word that... Um, it's kind of uncomfortable a little bit. Um, it, it talks about some, some really important themes, but also some themes that, that can seem a little bit sad, a little bit, um, man, there's some mourning. There's some mourning in it. And so I, I really want to invite you into the place this morning where we're going to really consider guilt, and we're going to consider grace, and we're going to consider worship, and we're going to consider deliverance. And so I, I really believe that if you'll open your heart and your mind that God has a word specifically for your heart uh, that he wants to teach you. And I know that I've been learning it for, for a little bit now as I've continued to pour over these texts. But um, I want to start out, you, I know that people who know me um, will be completely surprised by this, but I made a mistake a few weeks ago. <laughs> One mistake, I'm telling you. It's, uh, yeah, so um, a few weeks ago, my daughter, uh, who is uh, terrifically too, we're going to call it that, in faith. It's awesome. She's, she's I, I know I paint her like, she's awesome. She's, she's going to listen to this like, when she's 18 and be like, Dad, was I so bad? Yeah, baby, you were. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm joking. But so um, she's not a good breakfast eater. Like she, um, we'll, we'll fix her these like elaborate like Gordon Ramsay breakfasts. Um, and she will, like, look at them and, like, pick one thing off and then go about her business. She likes to graze when she eats breakfast, so she doesn't like to sit still. Um, and most of the time it's screaming for the television to be turned on. And we're like, no, like, we need to limit that, you know. So the other morning I was like, you know what, I'm going to take her breakfast and I'm going to make it, like, exciting, okay? So we, we took a waffle and put it out and got some whipped cream. And I was like, oh, yeah, whipped cream mountain, baby, you know, like, really tall. And then I was like, how about some sprinkles? So I got the sprinkles out, and I mean, this thing was beautiful. And I put it out in front of her, um, set it there, and she like looked at it, and she's like, ooh, sprinkles. And I was like, yeah. It's <laughs> like, ooh, whipped cream. And I was like, uh-huh. And so she took this thing, picked up the waffle like, very precariously, and just shoved it in her face, ate all of the whipped cream, all of the sprinkles, tossed the waffle down on the table, and went on about her way. <laughs> I was like, well, we tried. But here's, here's why I made a mistake, right? Because every single day now, I want a waffle with sprinkles and whipped cream. I, I know. And so I, th this is what got me thinking about this as I was thinking about the message and thinking about what God's going to teach us this morning is uh, the other morning, she gets out of bed and the first thing that comes out of her mind, I'm hungry. And I, I'm, yeah, you are. Okay, great. Let's change your diaper. We'll get you going. I, I get into the kitchen. I'm getting the waffle ready. I'm getting the whipped cream out. I'm getting the sprinkles ready. It's all on the counter, right? And she's, you know, just, she can't see what's happening on the counter, and she's standing next to me with, with her hands just clenched. She's like, I want a waffle, and I want sprinkles, and I want whipped cream. And I was like, I know, I'm fixing it for you. And she's like, no, I want a waffle, 
And I want sprinkle, and she's like seven times. And I'm like, baby, like, just trust Dada. Like, it's, it's all right here. I'm putting it all together for you. So I get it all on the plate. It looks immaculate. I'm telling you, like, oh, I should have Instagrammed it. It was a great picture. And I put it on the table in front of her, and she doesn't even have her eyes open. She still has her, her fist clenched. She said, I want a waffle, and I want sprinkles, and I want uh, whipped cream. I almost said shaving cream. Whipped cream, that'd be awful. Whipped cream. And I was like, Baby, just open your eyes. It's right there. She opened her eyes and, oh. And so I got to thinking about, about this exchange with my daughter, and I, and I got to thinking in, in the context of what we're going to be reading today. How often have we seen God do something one way, and we expect him to keep on doing it that way. And we're screaming for deliverance. We're screaming for, for help. And we're saying, God, no, I need your help. I need your help. And he's like over here like mixing it all up. And he's like, I got you. Like, hang on. It's all coming together. Just wait for it. And we're just throwing a fit. And we open our eyes. And there it is. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. I want to give us a little bit of context. I want to encourage you to go ahead and open your Bible. We're going to be in Exodus 12 for most of the morning. Um, and you know, <laughs> you know what's fun is I like to joke sometimes, like, in my Bible, it's on page 63. Good luck finding it. If you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, you know what page it's on? 63 also. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> that's like a nerdy thing. I don't know. So go ahead and put your finger there and hang on to that place. I want to back up just a little bit, and we're going to talk about what got us to where we are. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy gave us an awesome introduction into Genesis, and he taught us, um, or into Exodus, sorry, and he taught us about um, Moses kind of entering into the story and, and what God was going to do through Moses. And then last week, Brian talked us through the plagues, except for this last one that we're going to focus on today, and, and what those kind of meant for the nation of Israel. And so I want to give us just a quick recap so that we can jump right into the story when we get there. So here's the deal. Last week, we talked about the plagues. I want to remind us that, um, there, that we talked about nine specific plagues. A lot of times, these plagues are grouped into groupings of three. So there's three groupings of three, three, six, nine. The first three um, were, were not exclusive to Egypt. So everybody living inside of Egypt, the Israelites and the Egyptians alike, were uh, subjected to these plagues. So the principle that I think that God is trying to teach through these plagues, first of all, is in this first three grouping is the power of God. So these first three plagues, it was the, uh, the plague of the water turning into blood. It was frogs and it was gnats. And so God was trying to get the attention of his people and saying, hey, you've, you've kind of slipped into living life in Egypt. And even though you're slaves, even though you're being oppressed, even though, even though these things are happening in your life, you're living a comfortable life. And we know, like, in hindsight now, we look back at the Bible, and any time Israel was swept away into another culture, what happened? They started worshiping the gods of the land. And so we can, we can really believe that these first three plagues, in a way, were, were God saying, like, wake up. I'm here. I've sent Moses and Aaron, and I've got something massive planned. I just want you to come and worship me. Turn away from the gods of Egypt and come and follow me. So God is putting his power on display with these first three plagues, saying, yeah, you, you believe that these gods are better than me? Check this out. I'm going to turn this water into blood. Check this out. There's frogs everywhere. You, you think the Egyptian gods could do that? Uh-uh. Like, I'm awesome, right? 
So these first three plagues, it's getting the Israelites' attention. Now we move on to the second set of three, and these were specifically for the Egyptians. We, we know now that the Israelites were immune from the second and third set of three. Okay, so the, the second one, he, he's showing his orchestration, how he is in the heavens and he's orchestrating everything. There's nothing that happens on the earth that doesn't go through the hands of a sovereign God. And so he's showing that through these next few plagues, and we see... Um, we see flies, we see the death of all of the Egyptian livestock, and we see boils. That's a nasty word. Except, like, unless you're talking about, like, boiling water, I, I hear the word boils, I'm like, ugh, right? It, it, it doesn't feel good, it, 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 yeah. So we see the orchestration of God where he's coming through and, and he's pouring out these plagues upon the Egyptians and giving them uh, what they deserve, and also showing the Israelites that he is a gracious and just God who showed them his power, but now is not having these plagues be exhibited upon them. And then the third part here, the third set of three, we see the superiority of God. These next several plagues, there is nothing, there's nobody who could do what God did. And so he calls hail upon the people of Egypt. He calls a swarm of locusts upon the people of Egypt. And he calls darkness for three days upon the people of Egypt. So that catches us, catches us up. God is showing his power, his orchestration, and his superiority to any other God that the people of Israel might worship. Now we turn to the the next plague, which is the 10th and final plague, and God is saying, guess what? We're back, and this will apply to everybody who is not obedient to me. So you've seen my power. You've seen the way that I'm orchestrating things. You've seen my superiority to the other gods and the other life systems, and now is a chance to put your money where your mouth is. So this is where we pick up the story with Moses. I'd love to encourage you to stand. We're going to read through um, a section of Exodus 12 here. We're going to stand in reverence to God as we read this. I want you to just kind of follow along. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. That's very important. Without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." 
Uh, this, this next verse, man, it gives me chills when I read this. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word and for what it means for us. And I pray today that you will illuminate our hearts and our minds and show us your goodness and show us your mercy and your grace, even when we're feeling some guilt. Oh, Lord, you're so good, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So there's, there's a temptation um, with these verses to, to kind of stand up here and say, well, you see here, um, the, the type of lamb that was picked, it corresponds with this, and, and the bitter herbs, they correspond to this. And, and I mean, I could really go into that. I, I just really believe this morning, though, there's something deeper in our hearts. I, I think you could research that stuff. And I, I think, um, I mean, even as we go into this time of, of Holy Week coming up, we're going to have this dinner uh, video, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, that has all of those details. John DeCryder, like, he, he knows all this stuff, and he'll tell you all of those um, incredible things. But, but for me this morning, what I really want to get into is the condition that the Israelites were in, the condition that we're in, and what God has to say about that. You know, I, I, as I'm reading these verses and some of the verses we're going to get to in a little bit, there's, there's just kind of this heaviness. As you look at, at this, this whole narrative here and God strikes out at the Egyptians and he kills all of their firstborn, any firstborn, and even the animals, any, anybody who doesn't have the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel, they, the firstborn dies. And you know, I mean, what's hard about that is like, sometimes we look at God and it's hard to believe that a loving God would do something like that. But can I tell you, I've spent my whole life making God in my own image. What do I mean by that? I've spent my whole life putting my thoughts and my desires and my view of the world and, and the people I don't like and, and the, the things that stress me out and my brokenness, I put those on my image of God to the point that sometimes I'll take this book and instead of reading a book about God, I'm reading a book about me and what I think about God. that makes sense? I don't get to decide who God is. And so here's the thing. I, I think sometimes in our lives we walk around and, and we see life through our own eyes. And, and I have news for you guys. You're all side characters in my story. Right? The world revolves around me. But I expect you to kind of see me the same way. And so sometimes we take God and we put him in our story as this cosmic being who's like this deus ex machina who, who's going to reach down and fix problems. He's going to judge us. He's going he's to do what he does. And, and then we don't need him anymore. We're in our story and we're moving along. And so we kind of make God in our own image to be used for the things that we think God should be used for, to have the kind of opinions that we think he should have. But it's just not true. God is who God is. He created us in his image so that we would reflect back his image on him, not the other way around. So my problem is when I open this book and I read it thinking that it's about me, 
It's really about God. And what I'll tell you is is that the themes that run through this entire book, whether we like them or not, it's God expecting worship because he's worthy of being worshiped. And he's gaining that worship through a couple of different means. It's either the mercy and grace that he shows his people or the judgment that he shows people. And so we see the judgment and we're like, oh, how could a loving God? Oh, man. I remember like Oprah back several years ago. I can never serve a jealous God. Okay. That's who he is. So either you've got to come to a place where you realize that he's not made in your image. Or you've got a decision to make. So we look at this God who, in loving kindness, allowed for this to have caused this to happen. You know, I, I think there's a reason here. You, you look at, um, you go back through where we just were, and Abraham is coming on the scene, and God looks at him, and, and he says, I am going gonna, gonna to make my people from your lineage. I'm going to create a nation around you, and, and who uh, blesses you will be blessed, and, and, and the nations will be blessed because of you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And so you look, and, and you continue this story, right? And you get to where we are in Egypt, and, and Moses is on the scene now. And, and what happened right in the beginning of the story of Moses? Pharaoh looked at the people and had all of the firstborn of the nation of Israel killed. These are God's people. These are the firstborn of God's firstborn that Pharaoh is having killed. Moses slips through because of God's providence. And now the tables have turned. And God is looking at the people of Egypt and saying, my judgment has fallen upon you. Your people killed the firstborn of my people. Man, that make you want to tithe? We serve a God who is infinitely just and infinitely gracious. So I want to talk this morning about what we do with that. So as we look through this story of Exodus and through the plagues, I think we see three attributes of God that I think are really important for us to get into our heart. The first one is this, that God will be worshipped. God will be worshipped. Whether by us, it says in the Bible, if we don't, the rocks will. Because of who he is, because he is perfect in nature, he's the perfect creator. He spoke into existence the world around us, the beauty of spring that we're experiencing today, the the world around us. He spoke us into existence as, as, as his image bearers into the world. You know, like the weight of this passage, uh, I was thinking about this as like, you walk through this laundry list of all of these things that you're supposed to do, right? God tells them, pick out this perfect goat or perfect, like, can you imagine yourself out there in the pen and you're looking around, it's like, ah, this one's perfect, oh no, it's got a blemish right there. Oh, this looks like a good one, how old is it? Oh, it's too old, right? They're picking these lambs out. It's got to come back, it's got to live in your house. Like the kids are over there naming it. You know what you're supposed to do with this lamb? You've got to cook it a certain way. You've got to catch the blood a certain way. You've got to put it on the doorposts in a certain way. And you know what? They didn't have Google, guys. 
So it's like, if they miss some of the instructions, like, <laughs> better go to your neighbor. The kind of personality I have is like, I'm, I'm sitting there like, hey, uh, you guys got an extra sheet of papyrus. Like, I need to, I need to jot all this down. I'm going to forget it. And if you don't do it all perfectly, what happens? Your son dies. That's heavy. Can I tell you, like, what the response was? So Moses and Aaron are, like, speaking all of these things to the people. And, and, man, that's a heavy message, right? God's saying, like, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. And if you don't do this, your son's going to die. But if you do this, everything's going to be fine. And then I'm going to kill all those people. And you know what the people did? You know what their response was? They bowed down low and worshipped God. Seems like a really odd worship service, right? All right, let's do this. I was thinking about this as I was preparing, and I don't want you to, like, lift fingers or, like, make tally marks or anything, but let's take a little survey. Think to yourself, don't tell your spouse, but when was the last time, or not, not the last time, have you ever been in this room and then left for the day and thought, it was kind of too dark in there today, really distracting, or it's too light, I can't believe it's so light in there, I just want to get lost in the worship. Have you ever left this room and thought, man, that song, uh. I didn't really like the words. I was kind of pitchy, probably when I was leading worship. Have you ever left this room and thought, man, that message was pretty good, but Kenneth, like, you know, he talked about himself too much. Have, have you ever, this is, we're going to get into some more kind of, yeah, some uncharted territory. This is going to be great. Have you ever um, been driving down the road and got cut over, uh, cut off and said some really nasty things, even if there was nobody else in the car? Yeah, not us, right? Have you ever, last couple weeks, last year, looked at somebody either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask and thought some mean things about them? Uh, judgment kind of come into your heart a little bit. Can I tell you, like, all of those things are all about worship? They're all about things that we're giving worth to in our minds. And no guilt, but, like, kind of guilt, right? Why I say that is I, I look at these verses. Like, God's sitting here telling me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get this lamb. I want you to keep it perfectly for this amount of time. I want you to slaughter it in front of your kids, in front of your family. I want you to paint your house with its blood. I want you to eat it this way. Cook it this way. If you have any leftover, I want you to burn it. I want you to wear this while you're doing it. There can't be any bread in your house. I mean, it, this whole list of things. And you know, what, you know what these people did? They bowed low and worshipped. But for me... And I have cheapened the commandments of my God to the point that if I don't like a song, I'm going to complain about it. Is that worship? It's worshiping something, but it's not God. I've cheapened worship so much that if I see somebody that doesn't agree with my viewpoints, I curse the image of God in them. Is that worship? You see, I, I heard this one time. I love this definition of worship is that worship is walking around in your life every single day with the biggest yes in your heart to anything God asks you to do. 
we're providing worth. We're, we're, we're pouring out worth onto something. We worship something every single day. But is it God? You know what I see here is like a people who literally have seen the power, who have seen uh, God's hand and, and, and his superiority, and, and they have said, whatever you say, God. Because the way I'm living my life, the, the master that I'm living for is not cutting it. It's not good enough. I've seen your power, and I've seen your glory, and I've seen the judgment that you've put out upon these people. And I need you. I need your deliverance, and whatever it takes, however bloody it gets, I'm in. I think they viewed it as worship. I think they viewed this time as a family as an opportunity to look at the works of God and the things that he was going to do. God will be worshipped whether we do it or not. What's keeping our hearts from aligning under the master? Or we just have other masters? It's what God's trying to show us through this. The second is that God always keeps his promises. God will be worshipped and God always keeps his promises because it's a reflection on who he is. It's his character. I remember growing up, my dad would talk about like being a man of your word. If you said you're going to do something, you do it. God is a man of his word. He keeps his promises. We see that, right, from, from the time that he talks to Moses for the first time. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to talk to Pharaoh, and I'm going to, I'm going to um, use you to be what delivers the people of Israel from the slavery and the bondage of Egypt. He keeps his promises. We, so much so that, that man, the, the people leave you know what the Egyptians, like, they're like, oh, you, you guys are going? Cool. Like, uh, here's my necklace. Like, you, you need some money on the way? Here, let me pull out my wallet and spot you 20. Like, literally, they, like, they loot all of the Egyptians. The Egyptians are, like, handing over all of their gold and all of their jewels and all of these things for the, for the Israelites to take on their way. God not only kept his promise that he was going to deliver them, but that he was going to supply all of their needs. And so much so that the, some of the Egyptians even looked at him and said, hey, man, that, what you're doing, that's cooler than what we're doing here. Let's go. God is a God who keeps his promises. And we look forward and, and what happens, these, these Israelites, they're headed out after the deliverance. And, and we'll kind of rewind here saying they're heading out and they come across this water, right? And, and, and God keeps his promises again by splitting the water so they can walk through on dry land and move on towards the promise that he's given them. And fast forward even more, after all of this time, they move into the promise. I mean, God is a God who keeps his promises to his people, when he blesses his nation, he blesses the people around it. And that's the third point is that God will bless his people. And I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here. Man, if so, like, you know, I'd be driving something a lot nicer, you know? But here's the deal. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. What does that mean? Like, look back at, at Abraham. I'm going to bless your nation and those who bless you will be blessed and you will bless those around you because I am your God. We're not talking about specifically physical riches here either. We're talking about the riches of, of God who is in heaven pouring his grace and his mercy upon us when we're guilty of worshiping the gods in Egypt. And they might not be the Egyptian gods, but they might be the gods in your heart of prosperity and of wealth and of self-centeredness and of the sins that we like to, to dig our mitts into. And we talk about like, man, I can't get out of it, but, but we kind of like it. 
And so what God is saying here is, I'll be your God, and I will bless you so that you can bless others. We gotta, we got to get our minds off of the guilt. I want you to feel it so that you know what you're guilty of, so that you know the power of the salvation that I offer you. And this is the blessing he's talking about, the blessing of the gospel. Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserve so that we could have new life because he shed his blood for us. And not only that, he rose again so that death, hell, and the grave was defeated forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He's, he's blessing us so that we can bless others, right? Or do we hear that and we say like, man, yeah, it's good that, you know, Jesus died for my sins because I was worried about that one. Let me sit in my couch, keep it to myself, hide it under a bushel. Yes. We're saved to bless others. What God is showing his people here is, first of all, he's setting himself up with these plagues and saying, I am powerful. I am sovereign. I've come to topple these other gods. He even says that there in verse 12, to, to put all of these other Egyptian gods on notice and show them that I am the Lord. I'm the Lord who saves. I'm the Lord who rescues. I'm the Lord of deliverance. But sometimes it's easier, like, right? Do I really have to kill that lamb? God knows my heart, right? Oh, man, if I don't put the blood on, it's going to ruin my new doorpost. He knows my heart. God will be worshipped. God will always keep his promises. God will always bless his people. It tells us in the New Testament that we're saved by Jesus Christ and the gospel, and we're given a new inheritance. The old life that I lived is gone, and the new life in Jesus Christ that I live is here. It's, it's available to me. It's, it's, it's mine to step into the destiny, just like the people in the Exodus, right? Just like those Israelites, they're walking out of the bondage that they've been in for all of these years, and they're deciding that the new master is better, and that he has a plan for their lives and that there's freedom golly i don't understand because we move on and we get to the water right and they're looking at moses and they're like uh okay that's a big pond Did god bring us out here just to get trapped here and uh, we might as well just go back at least in egypt we had food dude you got saved from the passover like just hours ago what are you doing but how many times is that my heart? Oh, man, like, thanks, God. Like, the gospel is so good. But, yeah, you know, selfishness is pretty great. Go back to my old master. See you later, God, when I need you. Moses like, just trust. The land appears, and they walk out across. You know, it's, it's beautiful, but, man, I, I think Israelite is you, and it's me. Israel is you, and it's me. We live in this place where, where it's like God does all of this and we see it and, and it's such good news for a little while and then we lose the joy of our salvation and we fall back into what it felt like to live in comfort. And God is saying like, I want to take that guilt. I want to turn it into my grace. I want to take your shame and your brokenness and I want to turn it into promises and truth and blessing and we're just entertaining slavers. 
Here's the beauty of the gospel that's appearing in this picture, right? Because, because, you know, in the entire narrative of Scripture, this is one of the first true examples of what's going to come. We know that because of, of the sin of Adam, that we're under the curse of death and the curse of sin, the curse of guilt, original guilt. And it says, you know, in Leviticus, it says in Hebrews that without blood, it's impossible to be forgiven of our sins. So every year, this is, the, this is what they're showing us, is that an animal has to die so that God can pass over our sins and we can have a relationship with him. But it's beautiful. The gospel shows us a new way, right? So here's, here's Jesus as our Passover lamb. These parallels, are, they're beautiful, okay? So first and foremost, Jesus lived with and became bonded to the human family before he was sacrificed for them. You remember that? Like that, that little lamb that they're like, yeah, take it into your house, name it. It's going to be a pet for a few days, and you're going to kill it. Jesus came, and, and he lived on this earth, fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life so that, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us, unblemished. But he lived with us. He did what we did, and no sin entered into his life. It says that there was no temptation that, that was common to man that he did not go up against, and yet he was perfect. Sacrifice of Jesus has to be appropriate to each home, not simply on a national or communal basis, community basis. So it's not like we can say, like, as Grace Spring Bible Church, we accept the sacrifice of Jesus for everyone who calls this a church. Right? Just like the lambs, they had to take that lamb into their own home and do their own business with God. That's how it is with our hearts. Jesus' sacrifice for us was individual. It is for the community, but it's for individual first and foremost. So, so we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and trust in God. Jesus, the Passover lamb, was spotless, perfectly so, not stained by any sin, any moral or spiritual imperfection. He was tempted he was tried. Can you imagine that? Like even in the midst of that trial, he didn't like even cuss at those guards or anything. He was perfect. Spotless sacrifice. It was only the blood of Jesus, his actual poured out life that atoned for sin. You think of that when, when God is passing through. What did he look for? the blood on the doorposts it meant that that house was safe. They only the actual blood provided safety. In his death, Jesus was touched by the fire of God's judgment and wrath. In his death, Jesus received the bitter cup of God's judgment. The work of Jesus has to be received fully with none left in reserve. What's interesting here is you look at, you know, what, what it tells us about the lamb. Eat everything you can and don't save any for the morning. Burn it up if you can't eat it. What, what he's trying to tell him there is like, I'm going to provide for you. You're going you're to wake up in a new place tomorrow and I'm going to provide for you there. It's just like we see in the manna in the future. Like anytime they try to take more for the next day, it just shriveled up, right? And that's what God's telling him here. Don't take the lamb with you. I'm going to provide. That's what, what, what Jesus is saying here. I have grace for you today. My mercy is new every single morning. I can pour it out on you every single day. It doesn't matter what you're walking through. It doesn't matter what the struggles, the guilt that you're feeling in your life is new for you today. This is your portion in the Lord. That when I bring my guilt and my shame and my brokenness to him, his mercies are new every single morning. Passover work of Jesus for his people 
is the dawn and the prelude to their freedom. You see, like in that night, can you imagine how terrifying it must have felt? God, did I do it right? I can tell you, like as, as a father of like an infant, he sleeps on, like by my side of the bed in a bassinet, and there's like some nights where I'm like, is he breathing? I'm like reaching in the dark, I'm like, yeah, yeah, got a breath. Can you imagine that night? God, did we put the blood up right? Did we, did we eat the animal? Did we cook it right? Like, like go in and like check it. Oh, okay, he's still there, right? Can you imagine the dawn of that morning? The feeling that you felt as an Israelite. And it's like, oh, God showed us grace. Even when we were so full of guilt. But on the flip side, can you imagine the grieving in Egypt that morning? Here's what it says, actually. Let's, let's read this. Verse 29 to 12, it says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both of you and the people of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. One quick thought, I mean... These are the people that the Israelites have known for years. Even if they were their masters, even if they, and these Israelites were living in this community, they knew a lot of these people. And, and this death, I mean, can you feel that weight? Like I used to like kind of gloss over this passage until I had kids and you just like hold that little baby and it's just like, oh my gosh. Oof, right? God is a good God. He is. Here's the thing. There's a million more parallels. There's so many things that we could draw lines to. And like I said earlier, uh, John and Melda Kreider have this awesome opportunity um, on uh, coming up during the Holy Week to be able to take part in this Passover meal experience. They'll, they'll tease out all of those details about what each and every one of those individual elements meant for us. I encourage you to do it. It's, it's an incredible experience. And, and it'll open up this passage even more to you. I want to just kind of, as we're closing up, I want to go back to this. And this verse. Blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. I just want to level with you this morning. Are you hanging on to some guilt? Are you hanging on to worship of, of things that aren't God? I'd be honest. Like, I, yeah, me. It's in my heart. I don't always like it about myself, but it's in there. And the things that like I work on every day and I'm I'm walking in sanctification, but 
sometimes I try to make myself a God. Sometimes I try to make other things a God, my interests, my, my passions. That's being human. I think shame is, is ungodly because it keeps us wrapped up in a cycle. But I think guilt can be healthy because it shows us what we've done. Now, I'm not saying to wallow in the guilt that becomes shame. But when we feel the guilt of our transgressions, then we can see the beauty of our salvation. We can see the beauty of what the blood truly did for us. And so I'll put this up, and I want us to think about this. This is maybe what the door might have looked like. But we've moved on from the need to put blood on a door. I want to just ask you, is the blood of Jesus on your heart? Are you in a place where you've been wrapped up, you've been broken, you've been living in Egypt, so to speak, and, and the worship of other gods has become comfortable? I'm not saying like other gods like that, the small g gods, the things that we put in the seat that God deserves to be in. Where's the healthy guilt this morning that, that says like, I know I've done this. I also know that God is bigger than this and I don't have to sit in it anymore. I can rest in his grace today knowing that I'm a new creation, that I've been, I have a new inheritance, that I've been made his son and, or his daughter and maybe it's that, maybe like we've lost sight of what it means to truly worship him throughout our days. Or we've looked at the image of God and we've treated it in a way that it shouldn't be treated. Maybe it's, it's the sin, maybe it's the things we're hanging on to. Can I invite you this morning like, think about this doorpost on your heart? Is Jesus covering those things? Are you so wrapped up in the sin that, that you'll never get out of it? I really invite you to take some time to reflect on that. Have you moved from guilt to grace? And if not, like today's a perfect day to do that. You might have been saved for a long time, but man, maybe it's just the reflection time that we need to, to truly say, you know what, God, I got some of this stuff. Here you go. Oh, God's like sitting there like, yes. Let my blood cover you. Follow me into deliverance. I got you. I love you. I encourage you to spend a little bit of time in that right now. And after a little bit, Dan's going to sing. I would encourage you to stand up and sing. You spend some time in reflection. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you pour out your spirit on us this morning? Show us the areas that we've been hanging on to some guilt. Show us the areas that we've been hanging on to some sin and brokenness. I pray that your surgeon's scalpel would just cut through hearts and our minds and show us the areas that we need you to do some surgery. Lord, I pray we would be relentless as a people to remove those things, trust you as you deliver us into your promises and into your blessings so that we can bless others. Oh, Holy Father, you are so good.